0: Welcome to T. Rowe Price's Confident Conversations on Retirement. My name is Christine Akins and I'm delighted to be your host. I've spent my career helping people prepare for retirement. My colleagues joining me today are financial professionals who help people on their retirement journey, whether they're planning for retirement or are already there. Today, we're focusing on how family dynamics and different money personalities can make it a real confidence killer to talk about money. Some of that is shaped by our own experiences with money, and some might be generational. Our experts today have a lot of experience navigating these conversations with clients. I'm joined by certified financial planner professionals, Jean Dunn and Emily Hurstein. Welcome to the show, Jean and Emily. Thank you, Christine. Happy to be here with you and Emily.
1: Great to see you guys. Happy to be here and have this conversation with you.
0: So what has been your personal experience with money? Jean, we'd love to hear from you first.
2: Christine, I'd love to tell you a story about my two great aunts, Aunt Nadine and Aunt Gladys. you got to love those names, right? They both grew up in the Great Depression, but they approached money a little bit differently. Aunt Gladys, every week, would ask us to buy a couple lottery tickets. And one week, the lottery had gone up pretty significantly, and this was a, a while ago, so this was one of the first times it was this big payoff. And Aunt Gladys, convinced... Aunt Nadine, that if they both bought $50 worth of lottery tickets, sure thing, they were (laughs) guaranteed to win the lottery. Now, of course, they did not win. And Aunt Nadine refused to talk to Aunt Gladys for two weeks after that (laughs) incident. And I really think that started my personal fascination with money. It's like, how is this thing, $50 coming between these two sisters You know that have been friends for decades, and so uh, to me, that's really started a fascination that continues today around people's relationship with money—not just about the numbers and the analytics, but around our attitudes and beliefs and how they impact our decisions.
1: It's funny you talk about your two aunts. I have a very different relationship with money than my brother. We grew up; we're only four years apart. Grew up in the same house, our whole lives with our same parents. We're pretty close. He is very much a saver, and I'm very much a spender. We are complete opposites when it comes to money, and that's actually one of the things that has led me to be fascinated as well, because our experiences were the same, but something along the way changed our attitudes and made us very different about money.
0: You know, money is so deeply rooted in our everyday lives. You can see where it can be an emotionally charged subject, and people have just very different mindsets when it comes to saving and to spending. Do you find that your relationship with money has changed over the years? Emily, we'd love to
1: hear from you first. Yeah, it definitely has, right? As things get different in your life, you know, when you're young and you have no responsibilities, your attitude could be very different than when you start to have to pay for gasoline when you're driving to work or pay rent or mortgage. I even see that with my daughter. I remember years ago being with my daughter in a store and she wanted this toy and it was $30 plus tax. And we told her she couldn't get the toy. She didn't have enough. And she threw herself on the ground screaming, but I have $30. And she just didn't understand she didn't have enough to pay for it. Fast forward a couple years, she's doing chores, getting allowance, and she has to buy all her toys or whatever she wants with her own money. Well, she now totally gets that she doesn't have enough for those toys. So even in my nine-year-old, her relationship with Money has changed over time because her investment in it is different. Her relationship with it, what she has to pay for, where it's coming from, her personal responsibility is different. The same thing happened to me. My father wanted me to buy my own first car, even though he probably could have bought it for me. And that changed immediately. I went out and found a job because I needed to pay for it. I had to pay for gas. And it, it got me more invested in my own financial future.
2: Emily, I love that story, and I'm thinking back to what you just shared, that you're a spender, because I'm a spender too. But I've spent my entire career in financial services, and I'll never forget in my early 20s, I saw that chart. We've all seen this chart. It's like Joe and Diana are both starting to save. Diana starts to save from age 20 to 30, $2,000. She stops at age 30. Joe waits until age 30 to start, and he saves $2,000 every year until age 65. Who has more money? Diana. Diana. And as a spender, that was an eye-opener for me because I was like, wait, I can save less than Joe. I could be Diana if I save early and be better off. And so that actually motivated me to save more, just learning more about it. And I'm I'm sure both of us, you know, throughout the years, having experiences with people, having experience with investing in the market has, I think, given me more wisdom around investing and
1: saving. Exactly. And it's another time that changes Our relationship with money, the more stories we hear, the more clients we talk to, I think our own personal experiences change based on our relationships with others.
0: Let's continue to explore some of these different money personalities. And I know as we're having this conversation, I can self-identify with some of these characteristics as well. I'm just curious. We've talked about savers and spenders. How can savers and spenders agree on how much to save for retirement? Emily would
1: love to hear from you first. I brought up my brother and I think about his relationship with his spouse, similar to me and my brother. He's a saver. She's a spender. And I know they spend a lot of time trying to come into the middle about what they spend money on, what they save for. I think they've had conversations like that. And I've seen it with other clients where it's really a matter of making compromises and sitting down and talking about what's really important. Sometimes spending now is important on certain things. And then other things like retirement or college savings, saving may be more important. So I think it's really talking to your partner, whoever you're planning with, talking to a financial professional and trying to figure out how you can compromise and meet in the middle.
2: What's fascinating to me, we've done a lot of research on this with savers and spenders and couples, just like you're talking about. And what I think is really interesting is the vast majority of couples think that their partner is the opposite of them. So, you know, you're a saver, your partner is a spender. Now, I know opposites attract, but I don't think that happens in every situation. We dug a little bit deeper. We realized that saving and spending is almost like a relative term. The more extreme saver in the relationship views oftentimes views the partner as a spender even if they aren't relatively speaking. But having conversations about it, I think, is key to what you were talking about, Emily.
0: Jean, you talked in a past episode about the connotation of the word risk. We know that investing involves risk. Can you talk a little bit about the dynamic between risk-averse and risk-taking people when it comes to an investing approach?
2: Let's talk about the word risk for a second.
0: You know, the
2: financial industry asks this question, what's your risk tolerance? And all of us have been in the industry for a while. We're used to this question, this term. But I'm going to challenge it a little bit. First of all, I think if you're not familiar with the term, you know, what's your risk tolerance in terms of a financial context, I think it's a little bit of an unanswerable question. And I'll give you an example. Another woman who was talking to me about this concept of the word risk. I was bringing up the fact that women and men perceive that word differently. So when men hear the term risk, they view it in a positive light. Risk is go big or go home. To men, risk is necessary for survival. But when women hear the term risk, we often view it in a negative light. To women, risk is something that you do that's bad that may or may not result in a negative outcome. Risk is not wearing your seatbelt. Risk is not putting your children in a car seat. So I told this story. This woman raised her hand up. We were in a group. And she said, oh, that really resonated with me. She said, I need to have a conversation with my financial professional. I remember when he asked me that question, what's your risk tolerance? She said it was a few years back. And she said, in my mind, What I heard is, what's your tolerance for jumping off a cliff? These are her words verbatim. This is not what that financial professional intended. And so I think we need to have better conversations. What are you saving for? What are your goals? And what are the trade-offs you're willing to take to achieve your goals?
1: I couldn't agree more when it comes to risk. It's all about talking about it and defining what that risk is because people's perception is going to be different. So you got to be on the same page as your partner, your spouse, and your financial professional.
0: So in times of market volatility, how do those dynamics impact both of those personalities on either side of the risk equation and their commitment to staying the course with their retirement plans?
1: I think it's important for people on both sides and and like we talked about we'll often have planning partners be on what they perceive as opposite sides in terms of the risk spectrum i think it's important for them to talk about what their ultimate goal is to bring it back to what do we want our retirement to look like revisit that time frame why they made the initial decisions that they made and talk about it instead of making an impulsive reactionary decision. Really focus on what the conversation was that led them to make that choice in the first place.
2: Yeah, that makes sense, Emily. One of the things that we see in our research is that individuals that are more risk-averse have a very valid fear of, I don't want to lose money. And in periods of market volatility, you may see that account balance going down But when you're saving for a very long-term financial goal like retirement, one of the benefits of working with a financial professional is that creating a financial plan actually takes into account the ups and downs that happen in a market. And the financial plan's goal is to help you reach those long-term financial goals like retirement. Again, acknowledging that your accounts are going to go up and down in the short term.
0: Would it surprise you to know that one of the most difficult things to discuss is money? So discussing family finances is probably harder than discussing politics. I've heard that some people find it easier to talk about their plans for lottery winnings than it is to talk to their family about their estate plans. So why is it difficult to talk to your family members about money?
1: Emily, we'd love to hear from you first. So when I think about that, conversation, I put it in context of my daughter and how I grew up. I want to protect her, right? I don't need her to grow up too fast, know too much about money, and think that we have too much money or think we don't have enough money, but I also want to teach her about money. So there's a fine line between, especially with adults and their children, about how do you teach somebody about money and also keep your privacy? I don't need my nine-year-old stressing that we don't have enough to buy her toy, but I also don't need her thinking that we can buy all the toys, right? I remember before I went to college, filling out some of the forms that were needed and my father had to put his income down and I was shocked. I never had any idea how much money the family made. It was just not something that we talked about and I think that was good and bad. We lived a certain way, we were comfortable, but we certainly, I didn't think that we had too much money and I just knew that they saved for me to go to college. But when I saw these numbers and then I saw that I was signing to take a student loan and I had a financial interest in my education, that certainly made a conversation for us to talk about money. But up until that point – I think they have been protecting me. And I do the same thing with my daughter. I I want her to learn. I want her to be aware and be financially independent. But I also want her to have her, her childhood. And I think that there's a big difference between talking about money with your children when they're younger than having those conversations when it's adult children and aging parents.
2: And Emily, just to add on to that, I, I really relate to that. When I grew up, we didn't talk about money in my family. And, and again, I think this drove me to do a lot of research. And in our research, one of the things that we learned is there are a lot of different attitudes when it comes to talking to finances with family members. There are some families that are really open to talking about money. But there is a big group that values privacy, They are in some way reluctant to talk to family members about money, and this can include partners. But it's important to acknowledge the unintended consequences. I'll I'll give you a story that came up in our research, and, and this kind of goes to the adult children, and oftentimes those conversations that adult children don't have with their parents. There was a gentleman who, unfortunately, his father had passed away, and his father had left a vacation home to this gentleman and his siblings. But what happened is they never talked about it before. They never talked about the intention. And the siblings had different capabilities in terms of being able to pay for the taxes and the expenses of the vacation home. So this vacation home, which was a source of great memories for all of the family growing up, suddenly became a source of arguments and resentments in the family. And and to me, this is why it's so important to have conversations with family members about money, especially around your intentions. And I also think this is where financial professionals can play a key role, to help family members have those conversations And I put myself in the place of someone that values privacy. They are maybe reluctant to talk to family members about money. And a lot of times there's often valid reasons. But one misperception we hear is that I don't want to have a conversation with my children because they say, I don't want to give my family members a number. The number oftentimes can be the biggest issue that they don't want to talk about. But a conversation about money absolutely does not have to include numbers. You know, there's so many other things. And again, I think this is where a financial professional can help you determine what you're comfortable talking about and what's important to talk about with family members so you don't have that unintended consequence of a gift to your family that was a source of great memories that suddenly becomes a source of conflict.
1: I think the same can be true for, in my situation, talking to your younger children. An unintended consequence of not talking about money is we see kids graduating high school or college and having no idea how to manage a bank account, having no idea what credit is, having no idea that they can start investing for retirement early on. So I think there's a lot of unintended consequences about not talking about money. So it needs to be done to whatever your comfort level is.
0: Who makes the investment decisions in your household? Jean, let's start with you.
2: So I do think this is a question that's a little bit different because I've spent my entire career (laughs) in financial services. I am the individual that makes all the investment decisions in my household because I'm steeped in this industry. So there's a division oftentimes of financial duties in every household. Usually one person becomes that household CFO, the primary decision maker for investments and long-term financial planning. And oftentimes the other individual becomes, for lack of a better term, the financial manager. They're managing the day-to-day finances, paying the bills. But there was an academic study done around this, and it found a couple of really interesting things. One is this division of duties usually occurs really early on in a partnership. And once that division of duties occurs, it typically doesn't change unless a major life event happens, like a divorce or a death of a spouse. And the last thing I think is most fascinating is when that division of duties occurs, both partners usually have relatively equal levels of financial literacy. But that household CFO's financial literacy starts to grow over time makes sense. They're spending time on investment decisions. The financial manager's financial literacy plateaus and declines over time. And so to me, again, it's, it's just something to be aware of. And if possible, I would encourage everyone to become more involved. And I know we all don't have a lot of time. A division of duties makes sense for everything in every household. We're really busy. But you don't want that unintended consequence of becoming the financial manager and then becoming solely responsible for all of your finances and having that lower level of financial literacy, being uncomfortable. So I would encourage couples especially, have both partners involved in a way that works for you.
1: And I think we see that all the time. Somebody is the person who's running the household from a financial perspective and something happens to them. And then the other partner, other spouse, oftentimes has no idea how to pick up the pieces. And in a critical time when there's a lot of changes, that's one thing they don't want to have to worry about. So if they can talk about it earlier on and you know, I had a client who said, if anything happens to me to her husband, she said, if anything happens to me, you need to call Emily. That's all you need to know. She knows where everything is. She can tell you what to do. And she said, Emily, I've tried to tell him a million times about what's happening in our financial world, and he doesn't want to know. But I need to make sure that if something happens to me before it happens to him, that he knows at least who to call. And I, I think that that's a great solution is at least having a financial professional involved that can help pick up the pieces and get the other person up to speed.
2: And Emily, just to dive in a little bit deeper to that scenario that you just talked about, I do want to acknowledge that there are some people that are really fascinated by investments and long-term financial planning. Naturally, oftentimes they become the household CFO. And then there's this other group of people, and it sounds like this gentleman is one of them. They feel like investments and talking about money is more of an obligation. They know it's important, but it's kind of like going to the dentist. (laughs) You know, it's something that's important, but it's not their favorite thing. And as human beings, oftentimes we ignore or avoid the uncomfortable things in our lives, but it makes it no less important. And I love your suggestion of working with a financial professional that can help involve that individual who feels a little bit uncomfortable talking about money. And I'm sure you have experienced this. You know, sometimes people, they don't want to talk about money and finances, but it impacts everyone. And, And so, working with a financial professional, they can figure out how to involve you in a way that works for you.
0: So, Emily, are your retirement plans anyone's business?
1: I think that's an interesting question because it really depends on your personality, like we were talking about. I think that it depends on what you want to do. Who do you want involved? My parents have really had my brother and myself involved and knowledgeable about their retirement plans because they wanted to spend time with us, and they also wanted us to be prepared if something were to happen to them, to know what their intentions were with their retirement plans for the other spouse, where they wanted to live, things that really directly affected their retirement. But I do see clients who really don't want anyone to know. And I think a lot of it is personal choice. I think it's helpful to have these conversations, not just for contingency plans, But I think it also helps you develop a better retirement. If you talk about what your plans are, you can paint that picture, right? So it can help you figure out what you want it to look like, and then that helps you save for it if you have a clear goal in mind. I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about that, Jean.
2: So Emily, I think about a story a fellow financial professional shared with me, working with a couple, both in their 40s, the husband- unexpectedly passed away, and he was a household CFO. He had control of all their finances, not just investments, but even the bank account. And he had paperless statements. There was no hard copies of any of their information. And he was, again, household CFO, and the partner, at one of the worst times in her life, didn't have her husband's cell phone password. Do you think the cell phone provider is going to give her the password? Absolutely not. So, in one of the worst times of her life, she can't even access her bank account. So, Christine, when I think about that question, are your retirement plans anyone's business? None of us want to unintentionally cause family members pain when something like that happens—an unexpected event. But we can unintentionally do that if we're not sharing information. And to me, it's not again about those numbers. It's not how much you're saving for retirement, but it's where's the account information? Where are all the documents located? And do your
0: family members
2: know how to find that information if they need it?
0: So what I'm hearing you both say is it's not really important that your family members know every detail of all of your accounts, but knowing where they can access that information, knowing that you have a plan, helps them to build confidence. And that in itself is a great gift. So to what extent do you need to tell your kids about the details of your retirement and how much you have saved, how much you anticipate having to spend, and if you feel like your plans are solvent enough to be able to withstand your retirement goals?
2: One thing I think is interesting. So I speak at a lot of events around this exact topic about families who don't talk about money. And the number one question I get after an event is, I've tried to bring up this conversation to my parents who are getting older and I'm worried about them. I'm not sure what their situation is because we've never talked about it. And they say, what can I do? What advice would you give me? And I usually say to them, I think it's important to model the behavior that you're looking for with your family. So sharing with your parents your will, your estate plan, perhaps your advanced care directive, And I just want to acknowledge there's not one right approach. There's not one right way you have to figure out what works for you and your family.
1: I think that's a great point. Oftentimes, adult children don't want to offend their parents and say, are you sure you have enough? Are you sure you're able financially to stop working? On the flip side, the parents may have that privacy thing that we've talked about a couple times today where they don't want to tell their children, all of their ins and outs of their finances. But maybe they need to have that conversation just to let them know, yes, we are okay. Because I think at the end of the day, the adult children, we don't want to know all the ins and outs of how you're paying for things, what your investment balances are, what your bank account looks like. But we want to know, are you going to be comfortable? Are you going to be taken care of? Can you pay your bills? Can you make ends meet? And that will help the adult children sleep at night. And then stop worrying. And, and then it's a better situation for everyone. So it all comes back to the communication.
2: And I just want to acknowledge this isn't easy. <laughs> you know, if it was easy, everyone would have these conversations. But the important thing is to start, like start to have those conversations.
0: Well, this has been a great conversation. Let's summarize a few key takeaways for our listeners. Jean, what would you highlight? Everyone has their own unique attitudes and beliefs
2: about money. Oftentimes, they're based on early childhood experiences. But I love the the story that Emily started with. She and her brother have different attitudes, even though they grew up in the same household. And, And that's a big misperception that we see, is that individuals assume that their partner, their parent, their siblings their children have the same attitudes and beliefs that they do, and they can't understand why this person has a different point of view. But if you start to approach it with curiosity and ask, you know, family members maybe why they've made specific decisions, why they have beliefs about money, you can come to a greater understanding and perhaps more productive conversations.
1: I also look at it from the younger kid side. I've mentioned my daughter several times. So Thinking about the younger generation is near and dear to my heart. And one key takeaway that I have is talk to your kids about money in an age appropriate manner. You're really doing them a favor by educating them about your beliefs about risk, your background, what you're comfortable with, but also just some of the facts. Otherwise, they're not going to know how to value money. They may not be fully prepared when they're kicked out into the real world and have to start paying their bills themselves. And so we want to do them a favor and really have those difficult conversations, but have them early and figure out how to incorporate them into your daily life, whether it's the trip to the store with my daughter explaining sales tax, or if it's this is why we want to save your birthday money and put it into your rainy day fund so you can buy those toys. I think there's simple ways that we can start teaching our kids to make these conversations easier as we all grow.
0: Well, it's hard to believe, but it's time for us to start wrapping the discussion. We want to leave our listeners with a parting thought or next step. Jean, let's start with you. So one idea I have is the next time you're having a conversation with a family member,
2: ask them, what's your earliest money memory? (laughs) And I think you'd be surprised about what you find out. And to me, that's a great way to have a conversation with a family member, not talking about how much money you have, (laughs) are you going to be okay for retirement? Maybe that's something you do with your, your parents. Hey, what's your earliest money memory? You start to approach these conversations with curiosity and openness, and maybe you have different conversations than you've had in the past.
1: And I think it's normal for us to realize that our attitudes towards money and our experiences are going to change over time, but it's important to keep that big picture in mind. And as you get older or something happens to change your attitude, your situation, your outlook, to have those conversations with not just your family members, but with a financial professional. If your attitudes change towards risk, that's important to discuss. If your intentions change, if how you feel about money changes. That's not just your feelings. That can affect your financial future and how you prepare for that. And it's important to have those conversations proactively instead of reactively.
0: Thank you both so much for joining me today. This has been a terrific conversation. Christine, thank you. It was great to have this conversation with you and Emily.
1: Yeah, it was great talking to you guys. I think this is an interesting topic. And I certainly have walked away thinking about some things I may do differently.
0: Again, I'm Christine Akins, and thank you for listening. Please tune in for our next episode, which will answer some of the common questions people ask about retirement. If you like this podcast, please rate us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I hope your next step towards retirement is a confident one.
3: T. Rowe Price, Retire with Confidence. This episode of Confident Conversations on Retirement is provided for general and educational purposes only, and is not intended to provide legal, tax, or investment advice. This podcast does not provide recommendations concerning investments, investment strategies, or account types. It is not individualized to the needs of any specific investor and not intended to suggest any particular investment action is appropriate for you, nor is it intended to serve as a primary basis for investment decision-making. The views contained herein are as of the date noted on the material and are subject to change without notice. These views may differ from those of other T. Rowe Price Group companies and or associates. Copyright 2022, T. Rowe Price, all rights reserved. T. Rowe Price, invest with confidence, retire with confidence, the bighorn sheep design, and confident conversations, collectively and or apart, are trademarks of T. Rowe Price Group Incorporated, all rights reserved. T. Rowe Price Investment Services Incorporated, T. Rowe Price Associates Incorporated, NTR Price Investment Management Incorporated are affiliated companies.